in them. These two disciples, they're not a part of the 12, but they're followers of Jesus, and they're walking along. They're disillusioned. Uh, They're probably confused uh, by the things that have happened. Uh, Everything that they had believed and hoped for had come crashing down on Friday. Uh, The cross really was not uh, in their minds. They weren't thinking about the cross. Even though Jesus had told the 12 uh, that he would be denied, he would be betrayed, and that he would die, uh, probably these two were not privy to that. And even the 12 didn't really understand it, didn't really grasp it. Uh, on Monday, previous, Jesus had entered Jerusalem to shouts of Hosanna, and, and the phrase Hosanna literally meant, save us now. It wasn't, save us someday, save us in the future. It wasn't, we're glad you're here, things are going to start getting better. It was, save us now. Uh, they believed that there was about to be a, a military and a political overthrow that would change everything forever immediately. Uh, verse 21 Uh, They say to Jesus, we had hoped that he was the one who would redeem Israel. And the past tense of their statement tells us really everything that we need to know about their state of mind. And, And Jesus says to them, did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? In other words... In order for Israel to be redeemed, a sacrifice had to be made. Romans 6.23 says, The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. Romans 3, verses 23 to 26, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented him as a sacrifice of atonement. Through faith in his blood, he did this to demonstrate his justice. Because in his forbearance, he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his justice at the present time, so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. One of my favorite New Testament passages, and actually one of the earliest written New Testament passages, 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 through 8 are actually a a testimony that the early church used to tell people what they believed. I want to read from 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 through 23. Just listen to these words. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried that he was raised on the third day, according to the Scriptures, that he appeared to Peter and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time. Most of them are still living, though some of them have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to the apostles. And last of all, he appeared to me also 
as to one abnormally born. For I am the least of the apostles and do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them. Yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Whether then it is I or they, this is what we preach, and this is what you believed. But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection from the dead? If there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. More than that, we are found to be false witnesses about God, for we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But he did not raise him if, in fact, the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You're still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But each in turn, Christ the first fruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him. The justice of God required a sacrifice for sin, not not just any sacrifice, but a perfect sacrifice. Hebrews 9.22 says, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. Now understand this. Cross is not a picture of the Father punishing the Son. You can't separate the Trinity in that way. The cross is actually a picture of God himself taking your sin and my sin upon himself. Not punishing someone else, but taking our sin Upon himself, Isaiah 53, 6 says it perfectly. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. In the Gospel of John, uh, chapter 4, Jesus meets a woman at the well. Uh, Jesus goes there. He's thirsty. He's looking for a drink. She comes there. Uh, to get water. She's going to get water for herself and also for the man that she lives with. And they talk. They strike up a conversation. She's a little bit surprised at the fact that he even addresses her 
uh, and has a conversation with her, and there's a long list of reasons why he wouldn't, but he does. They talk about water, they talk about husbands, they talk about mountains, they talk about worship. And at one point, Jesus says this to her, if you knew who I am, you would ask me, and I would give you living water. She says, I see that you're a prophet. Jesus says, a time is coming, and now is when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. And she says, I know the Messiah called Christ is coming. And Jesus says, I who speaks to you am he. If you knew who I am, you would ask me. If we knew who Jesus was, we wouldn't look anywhere else. If we really grasped who Jesus is, if we really understood who Jesus is and what he's like, we wouldn't look anywhere else. In John 6, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. He sustains us. He feeds us. In John chapter 8, he says, I'm the light of the world. He, he guides us. You, you need direction? You need guidance? There's no better place to look. In John chapter 10, he says, I'm the door of the sheep and I'm the good shepherd. He protects us. He cares for us. He watches over us. In John chapter 11, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. Jesus has conquered death. Death is not the end. If, if you're struggling with grief, if you've lost a loved one and you can't th get through the grief, there's no better place to look than to the one who says, I am the resurrection. I don't just know about the resurrection. It's not just that I can teach you about the resurrection. It's not just that I believe in the resurrection. I am the resurrection. In John 14, Jesus says, I'm the way the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. In John chapter 15, Jesus says, I am the vine. I'm the vine. I am the source of life and the source of fruit. Here's the thing. If you knew him, as he said, if you knew who I am, you would ask. If you knew who he was, you would ask him for hope, and he would give it. If you knew who he was, you would ask him for meaning and for purpose, and he would give it. If you knew who he was, you would ask him for direction for your life and he would give it. If you knew who he was, you would ask him for forgiveness, and he would give it. If you knew who he was, you would ask him for redemption, and he would give it. If you knew who he was, 
you would ask him for your heart to be healed. And he would do it. If you knew who he was, you would ask him to be loved. And he would do it. If you knew who he was, you would ask him for salvation. And he would give it. If you knew, if you knew, you would ask. Now let's pray. Jesus, I ask today that you would reveal yourself. We asked it earlier. We believe that you've been doing it all morning. And I pray now that as you reveal yourself, as you make yourself known to people all across this room, that they would be willing, they would be courageous enough to ask whatever they need, whatever it is, direction, purpose, hope, forgiveness, salvation, whatever they need. I pray that no one would leave here today still wanting, still searching. Everyone, every seeker would ask. Every searcher would find. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to ask our prayer teams to come and get in place. They would love to pray for you today. Uh, we're going to have a, a time of worship and a time of invitation. And I just encourage you today, if, if, if you're in that place where you know, you're, you're like Sage was, you just you feel like there's darkness on your life and you, you need forgiveness and you don't know where to find it. Jesus is the answer for you. If you just need direction and purpose and meaning, if you just have a decision to make and you can't make it, Jesus is the one that you need to come to. And these people here would love to help you. They would love to pray with you and pray for you and help you. Uh, if you want to come and just kneel in the front and pray alone, you can do that as well. But whatever you do, if you have questions, if you have desires, if you have needs, uh, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Don't let the enemy steal from you. All right, let's stand together. I encourage you to come as we worship.